We have a fantastic guest on the line. We have, we are so excited. Always great to have Bob Varsha join us. Bob Varsha, welcome back to Speed City. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, guys. Good to be back with you again. Hey, thanks. Great Always to hear, great to to hear your voice. The, uh, yeah. Vault of Varsha knowledge join us. How is that? <laughs> oh, oh, no pressure now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, uh, great job today with uh, World Endurance Championship, and we were prepping for the show, and I was looking at the the standings, and I and I refreshed the page, and the winner changed. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, that's happened to me twice in uh, in a couple of races. Now we lost the Lucas Degrassi when he was disqualified from the Formula E victory in Mexico City, and now, of course, Audi was disqualified from their victory today in the six hours at Silverstone, and so it goes to the Porsche team. It's. Um, I have to say, it kind of takes some of the air out of the room when, after we get off the air, you find out somebody was DQ'd, especially the overall race winner, and especially for something as you know arcane sounding as a violation of the front skid block thickness, which is what they nailed Audi for. But you know, the rules are rules, and the stewards made their decision. So, big disappointment for Audi after a really thrilling race, I thought. And uh, and now Porsche gets the win, and the whole complexion of the championship changes in LMP1. You know that uh, that skid block. For those of you that don't realize what it is, it's actually something that is measured at the end of the race, and the intent is to make sure that they don't lower the vehicle to gain aerodynamic advantage, things like that. But uh, all of it, it's uh, it's actually a critically measured uh, thickness, sort of like a brake pad material of some sort. Well, so, Bob, yeah. what, what do you think about uh, – well, I don't know if you had more to say about that. What is your – any more thought about that disqualification? Well, no, I don't know all the, uh, you know, the ins and outs of it. I haven't seen the official steward's report. But, you know, so I have to take it on face value. A rule was broken, and so uh, Audi suffers the consequences. Uh, you know, they're big boys and girls. They'll take it and move on to the next race at Spa in May. Um, but it is interesting, and I, and I think it points out something about the – you know, the complexity of these cars and just how close to the edge everybody is operating. I'm sure Porsche, Toyota, and every team up and down the grid is is doing the same because that's the nature of uh, motorsports generally and certainly at the cutting edge of the world championships, you're going to find this sort of thing. So better to get these problems out of the way because, we, as we said over and over during the broadcast, you know, the, the real point of the world championship is Le Mans coming up in June. So... Obviously, Porsche needs to work on their car. Audi and Toyota, certainly, with their all-new machinery, need to work on theirs. And uh, and we have to spare a thought for Brendan Hartley, who yeah. really puts his head on the pillow tonight thinking, what have I done? I mean, there he is, a platinum-rated driver in the fastest car on the grid, overtaking a bronze-level gentleman driver from the slowest class on the grid, and he has to overtake him with a 40-second lead on his nearest rival around the outside in a fast corner. Wow. No, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, that was – and that was pretty scary looking too. So, yeah, that, that's a – but that's a bummer. But I do want to talk about the, the new technology because, like you said, Audi and Toyota both coming in with, with new machinery. And obviously mm-hmm. with them winning the race today before they got disqualified, they were pretty happy about about their new machinery. What – uh what can you talk about the about both those teams with their new new race, you know, the machinery, I guess the best way to describe it? Sure. Well, you know, the most complex cars and the fastest and most potent are the LMP1 hybrids. Uh, for, uh, Porsche's car is basically an evolution of the car they won the world championship and finished 1-2 at Le Mans with last year. 
um, heavily revised, but still basically, you know, the car that they, they used so effectively last year. But on the other hand, Audi and Toyota went straight back to the drawing board. They knew they had to come up with something entirely new and different, and they did. Uh, Toyota went from a normally aspirated V8 engine to a twin-turbocharged V6. Um, Audi stayed with their tried-and-true diesel, but moved from four to the six-megajoule category, meaning they get to use more power out of the hybrid system, but as a result, they get less fuel for the ICE. Uh, And both Audi and Toyota went from their respective energy storage systems, the flywheel system for the Audi that they've used all along, and supercapacitors, in the case of the Toyota, to battery technology of the kind Porsche uses, and for that matter, the Formula E championship, a battery storage of their power. And although Toyota went right up to the 8-megajoule category with Porsche, uh, Audi is unable to do that because of the sheer weight of their diesel turbo engine. So they stayed in the six megajoule category, but still they're regenerating 50% more power than they had last year. And the remarkable thing to me is Audi and presumably Toyota and Porsche as well are using a third of the fuel that they started this hybrid category with and still going faster and generating in excess of a thousand horsepower. I mean, that's just amazing to me. It's just dazzling technology, and it's great to see those cars out there, especially given what we see in Formula One, where a company like Honda is struggling to try to create a a, a credible hybrid technology to compete with. You know, Bob, that's why I ask you, because you just said all the things that to me are the most exciting thing about the World Endurance Championship, is that mm-hmm. you've got this just uh, um, almost unlimited class of technology where all the the, the switching from uh, and I'm a little, uh, I'm a little bummed just in a slight way because it was nice last year to say that you had flywheels, you had batteries, and you had supercapacitors. All the three, ma- the biggest teams in the prototype series, all did it differently, which was just fascinating. But it does goes to show you that Porsche was winning last year because they were at eight megajoules and they were doing it with battery technology, and and I think mm-hmm. that's that's why the guys, the other teams, went that direction. Uh, but it does make right. sense, I guess. If you're if you've got the diesel to, you can get away with a little less uh, of that instantaneous torque that you get with all the battery technology because you got so much torque with the diesel. So it, it's fascinating. Yeah, and I think this is where marketing considerations come into play as well. I mean, Audi sells a lot of diesel vehicles around the world, and so that's the technology that they want to race. Whereas Porsche. Turbocharging is where they're at, so they have that amazing four-cylinder turbo engine making 400 or so horsepower. And, uh, you know, Toyota is probably the world's biggest automaker right now, can pretty much go where they want to, but they realize that turbocharging is the future, along with hybrid technology and EV. So, um, yeah, it really is a, a tour de force of technology, and it provides the kind of incentive and demonstration of technology development that uh, you know that we're all going to be seeing in street cars down the road. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things with the World Endurance Championship. Well, well Bob, what about some of the other stories? I mean, obviously that's the big one there with the disqualification, but uh, and the new mm-hmm. technology. What about some of the other stories throughout the weekend? Well, I think the LMP2 class, the biggest class with eleven cars in it, um, was exactly what we thought it might be. Incredibly competitive, lots of passing, lots of close competition. And it, there's a really great story coming from just south of the border from where you guys are. I mean, the winning LMP2 car, the 
RGR by Moran, the first ever Mexican team entry in the World Endurance Championship or perhaps any other major championship around the world, and they go out and win the race. Um, it yeah, was, great it story. Was spectacular stuff. Yeah, that really is. And then in the GT categories, I mean, the Fords did reasonably well with their new GT, finished uh, fourth and fifth, I believe. So they're making progress. I don't know if they'll be able to win Le Mans as they have set out to do, but the cars are coming along, and I think that shows us that a company with all of the worldwide engineering credibility and the, the you know the fat checkbook of a Ford Motor Company still finds it difficult to uh, you know to get right to the front of the grid, and I think that's a that's a good thing for the competitive aspect. Meanwhile, Ferrari, I think that as Calvin said several times in the broadcast, I think the cat's out of the bag. Ferrari was hiding their true speed, but when one car takes pole and basically leads the entire race in the GT Pro category, and the other car comes from the back of the grid and finishes second in class, <laughs> setting the fast lap in the class along the way, I think that shows that Ferrari has a balance of performance adjustment coming before they go to Spa in May and they're on to Le Mans in June. Um, but all credit to A.F. Corsa, who won both the GT Pro and GTM categories with Ferrari's new 48, 488 Turbo and with the 458 Italia normally aspirated machine. So a lot going on out there, lots of manufacturers. And when we get to Le Mans, which has now expanded its field to 60 cars for the race in June, I think it's going to be you know a bigger spectacle than ever. Yeah, that's going to be exciting as usual. Um, uh, you, you sparked my interest a little bit. What do you think that they might do for uh, do two? I should say uh, Ferrari for that adjustment. Well, I think they'll go to the usual sources. You know, they may restrict them on fuel flow or or uh, the weight of the car or restrictor in the case of the four eighty eight turbo or. Um, or revs or fuel tank size, you know, the, the sorts of things they use in balance of performance to try to equalize the performance of all these varied driveline technologies. Um, so we'll see. I could be wrong, but I think given what we saw today, that Ferrari is going to be slowed up just a little bit. And that's the nature of sports car racing, where you have all of these different technologies all competing on the same racetrack. It's incumbent on the series and on the officials to... Uh, to equalize the playing field, or level of playing field, I should say. That's got to be, that's hard to do. I know that that's, there's always a little bit of conflict, but I think they do an incredible sure. job of that. But it's got to be hard to do to, be, to make everybody happy and, and you know, make everybody feel like they are getting treated fairly. Equal footings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's the inherent conflict. I mean, manufacturers invest the kind of sums that they do because they want to win. And when they don't win, they're not happy. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's an incredible responsibility to provide a transparency and, uh, and real engineering know-how when you attempt to equalize these different technologies. But I think they do a good job of it, not only there, but over on these shores in the IMSA WeatherTech series. Yep, and uh, of course we've got uh, the, the both of these series going to be in Austin again at the Lone Star Le Mans here in mm-hmm. September. It's one of the yep. it's really one of my favorite events here in Austin because you have all these different cars and all that technology. It's really exciting. But um, well, you know, I know Les, you had a question for Bob that kind of that kind of relates to F one as well. Well, yeah, I was kind of you know thinking about Audi and what they've done this year and you know the technology between the FIA WEC cars and F1 is so similar some I mean, you might even argue WEC might even be a little further advanced do you think Audi is a candidate for coming into F1 or will they stay with WEC only 
Well, I think that question comes up all the time. And over and over again, Audi has said, you know, we're not interested in Formula One. I mean, they're investing, I think they'll admit to about $100 million a year, but I think the number is considerably higher than that in terms of the technology and the, and the wind tunnel time and, and all of the people it takes. I mean, heck, Porsche started a whole new division of the company with now 260 employees and their own facilities just for these prototype hybrids that they're racing with so much success right now. So Audi says they're not interested in Formula One, and I'll take their statements at face value because I'm I'm darn sure, especially given what the Volkswagen Group is going through right now with all of the emission scandals going on, they just don't have the ability to run two such programs if they were to try to do sports cars and Formula One. So in the short term, I expect uh, Audi is not a candidate for uh, for Formula One. Well, Bob, we do need to take a quick break. Can you stick with us for just through a quick break? Absolutely. All right. Well, you're listening to Bob Varsha here on Speed City Sunday night here in Austin, Texas. We will be back after a very short break. Precision Camera and Video is the largest camera store in Texas with over 10,000 square feet and packed with all the latest manufacturer offerings. Founded in 1976 and still owned and operated by its founders Jerry and Rosemary Sullivan, Precision Camera is committed to the finest customer experience. With hand-picked products and on-hand experts, you won't find a more helpful, knowledgeable and accommodating sales staff for quality service. Come see for yourself Precision Camera and Video, 2438 West Anderson Lane. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers. The best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. Even take it for a test ride. Or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at DucatiAustin.com. The racetrack, it's where legends are born, where only the finest machines earn their reputation for innovation and dominance. Such are the nameplates you'll find at Aston Martin of Austin, Lotus of Austin, Bentley Austin and Rolls-Royce Motorcars. Austin exotic, iconic automobiles whose racing heritage turns everyday driving into an inspiring journey because you're never just along for the ride. Highway 183 north of McNeil Road. Want to drive your car at speed on Circuit of the Americas? Edge Addicts is your source for more Coda events and more Coda track time. Whether you're looking to host your own event or just be a part of the action, Edge Addicts can get you in the driver's seat and racing like a pro. All levels of drivers and all types of cars are welcome, with instructors available for first-time and novice drivers. Life is short, and adventure is around every corner. So plan your high-adrenaline experience with Edge Addicts at edgeaddicts.com. Edge Addicts, it's better when you're driving. Austin's home for talk, Talk 1370. Ed Brown, and this is Pizza. Welcome back to Speed City. We still have Bob Varsha with us, the broadcaster extraordinaire doing work for the Fox Sports Network. You guys did a great job, Bob, all of you guys, and I love how much coverage you can get from Fox on uh, the World Endurance Championship. Well, thanks very much. It's uh, it's great fun for us to do it. This is the first year that we've actually called the races. In the past, we've basically thrown to the boys and girls at Radio Le Mans and let them handle the coverage there since they're on site. And we would just sort of get ourselves in and out of breaks and 
yeah. add what we could when we could. But now Calvin and I are going to call the series uh, for Lamal. We'll we'll bring in another team of announcers: Brian Till, Tommy Kendall, those sorts of guys, and. Uh, and have a big old time here in our studios in Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love hearing Tommy Kendall get into it again, and I've really been enjoying yeah. some of his work. Uh, but, uh-huh. uh, you know, there's a solid driver to, to relate to as well. Well, we got sure. Spa, Spa coming up. What uh, I mean, obviously we're just through with this, but, uh, I mean, any expectations for that? I mean, obviously with uh, with what Audi's just gone through and some of the other things we talk about, any any expectations for Spa? Well, it's going to be interesting because Spa is the sort of race that most closely approximates Le Mans, and uh, that's what the teams will be using the race for, is to work on their low downforce setups, which are specific to Le Mans. In the past, several of the teams, Audi included, would put a third car in their entry in order to have one car that specifically ran the Le Mans low downforce setup. They're not going to be able to do that now since Audi, Toyota, and Porsche have all agreed among themselves to run only two cars all year long. So at Spa, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think Porsche has made it clear that they still have the fastest car. But as we saw today, they have to finish races without mistakes, and they made mistakes today. Um, They'll try to eliminate that for Spa. Having said all that, I think the Audi will come into its own uh, better on the Spa-Francorchamps circuit than they did at Silverstone, because Silverstone has some twisty bits that have been added over the years to slow down the Formula One cars, at least. And as a result, this hybrid technology and its its ability to regenerate the energy that is spent while they're at top speed was kind of compromised, because they didn't have the long braking zones that they need to fully recharge their systems working in the 6 and 8 megajoule category. So at Spa, they'll have those long braking areas, and the, the Audi you know, will be an even more formidable threat to Porsche uh, than they were at Silverstone. And, uh, and as I said, Toyota's coming along with their brand-new car. They're still learning the ins and outs of it. And um, you know, things will just get uh, even more racy, I think, when we get to Spa. And I think it would be a mistake. We've talked a lot about Audi and Porsche, but I think it'd be a mistake to count out somebody with Toyota's resources and their and their history too, because they've they've done a fantastic job in the World Endurance Championship over the years. They have, and they're as I said, they're learning this new combination, different engine, different hybrid system. It just takes time. You know, I often quote Lauren Michaels, the creator of Saturday Night <laughs> Live, who once said. You know, we don't go on Saturday nights at 11 o'clock because we're ready for the show. We go on because that's when we go on, whether we're ready or not. And that's kind of the way it goes in motorsports, as you guys well know. I mean, it's like lawyers writing briefs. Until the brief is due, lawyers are going to keep tweaking on it. And it's kind of the same with new race cars. I mean, the teams will continue to test and tweak on these cars until it's time to line up and go race them. So, yeah, um, very you know, true. We're going to be we're going to be seeing this kind of thing uh, all year long, and it kind of makes things exciting because you never know quite what somebody's going to bring to the racetrack. Yeah, it's going to be fun, and I, I in the twenty four hours of Le Mans when it comes, I obviously just love that, and I watch way too much of it. I think the last time I think I watched close to eighteen hours of that race, so I will be listening <laughs> and watching you guys, but. Uh, but, you know, I do want to ask you, with all of your mm-hmm. uh, Formula One experience, and I'm not sure how much you've gotten to see this weekend, but I've got, uh, I just got some general questions about Formula One and Haas. Sure. I, I want to get your impression of what they've done, Haas F1. I mean, we're so excited about American One, t- American Formula One team, especially being here in Austin, kind of completing some yeah. of the puzzle for us. But what do you think about what Haas has done so far? I think it's spectacular. Uh, you know, we've all heard the arguments that, oh, they're just using a Ferrari. Well, 
you know, this is what the rules allow. And it's the same way Gene Haas organized his NASCAR Sprint Cup team, buying all of the, the key bits from the Hendrick organization. The rules allow it. It saves you an incredible amount of money in terms of your own development costs, and you've got the best equipment. So, and this is not the first time in Formula One. I mean, look at Sterling Moss made his name running for Rob Walker in Lotuses that they bought from Colin Chapman and, and people like that. So this is not new. And, of course, arguing and griping in Formula One is not new either. But uh, <laughs> what Haas is doing, yeah, it, it's kind of like uh, what Ford is doing with their GTs and the GT Pro Division in, uh, in the World Endurance Championship. They not only had to get a car together, they had to get a team together. They had to master the logistics and the technology and the development and all of the I-dotting and T-crossing that it takes to go out there and compete in a world championship. So I think uh, Gene Haas and Gunther Steiner and their, their little merry band, uh, getting bigger all the time, are, um, are doing it just the right way. And hopefully other people, instead of griping about it, will take notice of it. And we'll get some more teams entering the championship and just make things better than it for, for everybody. Uh, I, you're right, I haven't seen today's race. I was otherwise occupied. But <laughs> I think something interesting is happening at Mercedes. You know, Now that Nico Rosberg has won three straight, our uh, stat maven at Speed and now at NBC, Sean Kelly points out that nine times in history, a driver has won the first three races of the season, which Nico Rosberg has now done. Each of those nine times, that driver went on to the World Championship. Ooh. So if Nico can't do it now, he's going to make some very unhappy Formula One history. But even more importantly, it's going to be interesting to watch how the Mercedes team handles this. You know, up to this point, it's sort of been Lewis Hamilton yeah. getting the better of Rosberg at every occasion. So now Nico Rosberg is your championship leader. So you think Lewis Hamilton is going to kind of fall in line? <laughs> you know, uh, is Rosberg going forward? That doesn't seem like Lewis Hamilton's no, style is to it, fall in line. It really doesn't. Yeah. And and I likened today's uh, situation with Hamilton to you know Tiger uh-huh. Woods on the back nine and behind you know of a couple of years ago because uh-huh. he was under the gun. That's when we saw seriously some of the best plays to, for a guy to take five pit stops today. And yeah. You know, we knew the T-pan was broken before the race was over and still made it back up to seventh. That's impressive in anybody's book. I don't care if it's Hamilton or not. Yeah. uh, No question. What do you think about Bob? You know, he had the choice to start from the back of the grid or from pit lane. I mean, you know, the whole idea of uh, starting from pit lane is that he could have avoided some of the what he ended up what happened to him. And it seems like a, a little bit of a strategic mistake. Yeah, I think if they had it to do over, they might do it differently. Again, I don't know all the ins and outs of the situation, but there is a a little bit of a, not an advantage really, but at least you can kind of cover your bases by starting from the pit lane in that type of situation because you don't get cut off in all those turn one schmozzles and things that can happen. Um, That is a bit of a surprising decision, and I'm going to have to kind of look into that myself to, to try to figure out what they're talking about. But hey, as we saw today in World Endurance, as well as Formula One, even the very best can make mistakes, make the wrong decision, yep. and find themselves uh, paying a price for it. Well, I did see some. There was some encouraging news that came out of the the not great day that uh, Haas had. Is that by the end of the race, uh, both Haas cars were were setting the fastest lap. In fact, Roman Grosjean had the second fastest by mm-hmm. by literally. It uh, looks like just about a, a, a hundredth of a second. And so, yeah. but I thought, wait a minute, this is towards the end of the race. And Gutierrez also had the fourth fastest. 
mm-hmm. but they were but they were at the end of the race and everything was uh, I've pretty much decided these were like on the last two or three laps. But I just right. wondered, do you see that Bob, where um, we're by the end of the race? Some of those, uh, I'm just wondering how that how significant that fastest lap might be that that late in the game. Well, since they don't uh, reward it with championship points, uh, we shouldn't read too much into it. But we also have to keep in mind that Haas is still a very new operation. They're still filling their notebooks about what kinds of setups work and what doesn't. Um, you know, in a way, these kinds of races are uh, are like tests for them, under fire, as it were. Um, they're going out and, and getting the information they need in similar circumstances they can use down the road. So a little bit surprised that they went that fast, but hey, you know, things are, are maturing for them. And again, they have quality parts from Ferrari, and they're, they're doing a great job with them, even though the, you know, the championship points weren't there for them. Scoring in the first two races is terrific. Esteban Gutierrez had the best race he's had thus far in the car, I'd say. And, uh, and you know, we need to look around, too, because Ferrari apparently has, uh, has made great strides. I was surprised at what I saw in the way of results from Red Bull for Fiat and, uh, and Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah. Um, those guys are coming around, despite all their whining about the engines <laughs> that they're using. There they are, Adrian Newey with another great car. And uh, so I think there's good things ahead for Formula One this year as well. I'm glad to hear you say that. I feel like no it, kidding. it carries some weight when Bob Varsha says it. But, but I was—I uh, think you're absolutely right about about Haas F1. I mean, they, there's so little testing in Formula One now that they—they are still testing. And I was really glad to see that those fast laps. And glad to hear you say that's significant. But, well, Bob, mm-hmm. thank you so much, Bob Varsha from Fox Sports, with his just got out of his uh, six hours of commentating for the World Endurance Championship. We really appreciate you coming on Speed City, and we hope to have you back soon. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Anytime.